It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it look like to give up everything for Jesus. Have you heard of the name C.T. Studd? He was born in 1860, lived in Great Britain, and frankly had everything the world could offer. He was incredibly wealthy. He was actually a very famous cricketer, which means he played the game of cricket, which I know we don't really know what that is, but it's a game that's very popular. And he was actually a significant figure in British culture. He had a God moment in his life, and he gave up everything he had to move to Africa. He was so excited to move to Africa that he wasn't sure he should invite his wife to come do that, so he left a little bit of money for her to stay in Great Britain, and she was so mad that he... She wasn't invited to go be a part of this trip that she gave all that money away to the poor and they moved to Africa together. He gave up sport to pursue his career as a missionary because he said this, I knew that cricket would not last and honor would not last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. Had a massive impact in the church in Africa, moved back to England actually where he continued to have an impact. And near the end of his life, he wrote this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I could ever make for him could ever be too great. Simply like C.T. Studd, do you think Jesus is worth giving everything up for? Let me introduce you this morning to Humphrey Monmouth. 
I'm pretty sure no one has ever heard of him. He was a wealthy cloth merchant who gave generously to the less fortunate within his church. In 1523, he met a man named William Tyndale. Now, you may have heard that name. He was very, very important in the creation of the English Bible. Well, Monmouth, eventually in this relationship with Tyndale, became one of the most important influencers in Tyndale accomplishing his task. Monmouth let Tyndale stay in his home to work on the project, and without getting into all the craziness of this, you may or may not know part of this story, but when people wanted to translate the Bible into a different language and not Latin, it freaked the church out, and so they killed people who were interested in doing that. So that Tyndale was involved in this was a very dangerous and precarious thing, and Monmouth wanted him to do this so much so that he let him stay in his home, and then when they found out that Tyndale was doing this, Monmouth made the effort to get him to Germany where he could continue the translations. Finally, when the translations were completed, Humphrey had the Bible smuggled back into England by using his business for the sake of spreading the gospel and providing the scriptures to the common people of England. Many today know the name William Tyndale, but it was Humphrey Monmouth who gave up everything he had and used his resources as a businessman to help actually launch a massive movement of God. In his last will and testament, he stated that his highest goal in life had simply been to spread the holy word of Jesus. Like Humphrey Monmouth, do you think Jesus is worth giving everything up for? Let me introduce you this morning to Selena Hastings, Countess of Huntingdon. She was a remarkable figure in the 18th century. Despite her privileged upbringing and social status, she had a profound religious conversion in her early adulthood, which shaped the course of her life. Inspired by her faith, she became deeply involved in spreading the gospel of Jesus through activity and philanthropy. She developed a close close friendship with prominent preachers and theologians, including George Whitefield and John Wesley, and supported their efforts to spread the gospel throughout England and the world. She used her wealth and influence to establish schools, orphanages, charitable institutions to aid the poor and the needy. One of her most enduring legacies was that she had chapels built all over and throughout England and Wales. And these chapels actually became the center of evangelical activity all throughout England and played a significant role in the spread of the gospel all throughout Europe in the 18th century. She once said this, None know how to prize the Savior but such as are zealous in pious works for others. That's strange language, but it's worth hearing again. None know how to prize the Savior, how to value the Savior, how to see the worth of the Savior, but such as those who are driving a part of, invested in, works for others. She died on June 17, 1791, and left behind a wish that no one write a biography of her 
for she didn't want her name to be more valued than the name of Jesus. Hmm. I'm glad somebody decided to write about her finally. Do you think Jesus is worth giving everything up for? Well, today we come to another story, another visual aid, if you will, of someone who gave up everything. And interestingly enough, in the book of Mark anyway, she remains unnamed. But although unnamed, her act is unparalleled. And Mark is calling all of us to ask, do we like this woman, like C.T. Studd, like Humphrey Monmouth, like Selena Hastings, believe that Jesus is worth giving everything up for? There are three groups of people in this passage that all answer that question quite differently. The first and last group we encounter say something unique. One group we encounter in the middle has another unique response, and then we see the picture of this woman. And I would invite you to, as we listen this morning, use this story as a mirror, if you will, to help discern how you would answer that question. So let us begin with the first group, and their dark response to Jesus, because in fact, if they were asked, is Jesus worth giving everything up for, they would respond to that and say, no, Jesus is not worth giving up anything for. Our first group of people would say, Jesus is worth nothing. Let me quickly remind you of these two different people. First, we see the chief priests Verse, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it was now two days before the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. And at the end of the passage, we have Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, and went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus. We've talked about this before. Mark uses this interesting thing. They call it the Markian sandwich, where when he's telling a story, he actually sandwiches something together. He, he gives us something at the beginning and something at the end to draw our attention to what's in the middle. And, and this is just like many of these that have happened all throughout Mark, his literary tool to help us unpack what he wants us to gain from the story of Jesus. So here Mark wants to contrast the outside with the inside, so he starts and finishes his story with two very stark and dark pictures about how people think of Jesus. And first we see the chief priests and scribes who were seeking to arrest him and kill him. And then at the bottom of the sandwich, if you will, is Judas, who has seen so much of Jesus. Mark tells us he goes to the chief priests, not they to him going because he was finished with Jesus, couldn't take it anymore. Here, in some ways, we see a sacrifice of faith in the worst sense of the term. And Mark gives us another glimpse into the chief priests and their hearts in perhaps one of the most dark lines in Scripture describing anyone Mark says in verse 11, and when the chief priests heard it, 
they were glad about his betrayal. It literally means it brought them joy. What emotions does that stir in you? You know, even in a room this small, there might be someone who feels that intense negative emotion towards Jesus. Maybe you are on the brink or past the brink of wanting nothing to do with him. You're just here because you have to be here. That really in the depth of what you think that there is nothing that he is worthy of. And my friends, perhaps I can't convince you of anything this morning, nor will I try. But maybe if I could invite you to just ponder and reflect on the act of this woman. To ask the question, why would someone give up so much for this person? And we'll get there in a moment. Leads us to the second group of people. Those who would say, well, Jesus is worth something. Jesus is worth something. Verses 4 and 5, there were some who saw the act of this unnamed woman who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now, when you hear those words, what do you feel? I have this memory that often comes to mind for me. I was 24, 25, I was living in Tulsa, attending a church there, and we were at this retreat. It was actually a church retreat. A bunch of people from the church were there. It was a larger church, and eight of us, I, I can remember the circle, I can visualize it, gathered together one afternoon in, in the back of the chapel, and we talked for a really, really, really long time about all the problems of the church. And, and, and how we could really do things so differently. Now, all churches have problems, including this one. And there are things in this church that need to be more healthy and worked on. But our conversation didn't have that part of hope to it, if you will. It was a conversation that had an air of self-righteousness and pride, thinking we're smarter, we're better, we know what's best. Put on your practical hat with me for just a moment, if you could, for all my practical people in the audience. There, there is a group here that is thinking, we just read, that this is a waste. And with all of our practical hats on for just a second, can't we all say with them, yeah, this is a waste. That's a lot of money. I mean, and Mark wants to make it very clear. He, he actually overemphasizes it. He says, there's an alabaster flask with an ointment of pure nard, which they would all understand is very expensive. And then he says it, very costly. And he wants us to know, like, this is a lot of money. And so for all of us practical people, we would be saying, yeah, you guys are right. Should have used that for something else. We could have used that to help the poor. We, I, mean, I mean, you can just sense what's going on for them. And the two words that Mark uses to describe them are, are pretty intense. He says, they're indignant and they scold her. I mean, this is a very intense response that they're having. Maybe if we let it linger a little more, we would feel a little indignant too. 
Why such extravagance? I mean, why not just pour a couple drops of the bottle on his head? We might then be getting sucked into the very thing Mark is wanting to expose in our hearts. You see, the some who were indignant, yes, they were demeaning the woman and her gift, but they were also demeaning Jesus as well. For deep down, they were displaying, they also feel that Jesus is unworthy of such a gift of extravagance. Worthy of something, but everything? Oh, he's worthy of something. He's worthy of something of my life. He's worthy of something of my love. He's worthy of something of my devotion. But my whole life, my whole love, my whole devotion? Oh, my friends, Christians have never had a problem with following Jesus in moderation. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't criticize Christians if they're too wealthy. We don't criticize Christians if they have power. We don't criticize Christians if they have influence. But when we see displays of extravagance that make us uncomfortable, that display someone's love for Jesus, their devotion to Jesus, that maybe reflect on our devotion, well, we like to explain it away, don't we? When you see someone pouring out their worship to Jesus, how do you feel? When you see someone talking to others about Jesus with an enthusiasm and passion, how do you feel? We've gotten really good at explaining away everything devotion. He's worthy of something, but, but everything? Isn't that a waste? It's, it's a little too extravagant. Maybe in some ways this response exposes so much about you and me. And frankly, the Christian church in the West, we can give something to Jesus. He's worth something. You know, a little dab will do you, but is he worth everything? He couldn't be a God that has something to say about all my life. He couldn't be a God worthy of speaking into my beliefs and my work and my job and my finances and my sex life and my comforts and my time. Hmm. And here's this woman, this unnamed woman, giving everything. what do we learn from her? And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, 
as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Earlier this week, our staff was having a conversation about concerts. We were talking about how expensive they had become and trying to talk. Yeah, I see the nods out there. We were talking about, well, what would be worth paying to go see? You know, like what concert? It was a fun conversation we were having, just talking about like, and, and if it was anybody, if someone came back to life, you know, who, who would you pay? Who was worth the value of, of going to see? And we started to have a, you know, a practical, simple conversation about somewhat what this passage is about. If something was worth something, if, if it, it was worth something to you, then it was worth giving towards or giving up for, however much that might be. This woman comes, and her tenderness and compassion stand in striking contrast to the treachery of Judas and the timidness of the disciples. Mark wants us to understand the extreme value of what she is giving. It is beyond measure in some ways. And he makes this explicit explanation about how she breaks the jar, she smashes the jar, if you will, because he wants us to see this picture of he's not, she's not just giving him a little bit or some, but that she is breaking it in a way that it is all being used on the head of Jesus to anoint him, to bless him, to break in this room an aroma that none could mistake that she wanted him to be shown worthy of. There's not some hidden message in this passage. It's quite simple. Mark wants us to see what she sees. That when she looked at Jesus, she saw that he was worth everything and therefore worthy of giving everything up for And he rebukes those who are there. Why? Why does he rebuke them? Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Why does Jesus rebuke them? Because he knows who he is. And he's saying, I'm worthy of everything. He's saying, I'm worthy of this act of love and worship. She's doing this, he said, to me. Who else could say that? Who else in the world could say, I am worthy of everything? 
She knows what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to respond to Jesus without any conditions. I'm saying I'm willing to give Jesus anything. I'm willing to give up everything for Jesus. We could tease this out, these three pictures, if you will. You see, if if Jesus is worth nothing, then there's no worship of him isn't needed. It doesn't matter. He's just another person or a man. If Jesus is worth something, well, then I have kind of a pseudo-worship. I can come to church and sing my songs. I can give a little bit of money. I can pray during the week, maybe here and there. But when Jesus is worth everything, That's true worship. So what is Jesus worth to you? Hmm. You know, you can't love him too much. And let's remember here, it's his love towards her. It's interesting Every commentator that I read on this agreed that what was going on for her was that she knew something was coming. The disciples, for whatever reason, missed it completely and still had no idea what Jesus was about to do. But there were some people that followed him that knew what was coming. And so she, in this moment, knows that he's about to give everything for her. And so she's just responding to what's going on. I would offer to you, actually, that this is not necessarily just a preparation. It's actually a response. She knows who he is and comprehends what's coming, and she is ready to give Jesus everything because she believes without a shadow of a doubt that he is going to give everything for her. Now, don't, don't miss this, because this is maybe the most critical part of this sermon. You, like me, as I was writing this, might feel in this sermon some guilt or shame about how much your life you have given to Jesus. And friends, let us in this moment respond with some sense of repentance. That for all of us, there are parts of our lives that we are holding back from Jesus. There are parts of our life that we would say, you can't have this, Jesus. You can't have it. But out of repentance should come faith, a turning from what we're holding on to and a turning to something more valuable than we could ever imagine or think. See, we could hear this message and say, let's go out there and let's just do better and give more and be stronger Christians, but no, no, no. That misses the whole point of what her act was. You see, it's giving from something. She saw an immense value in Jesus, and so, friends, if we see in our lives a pseudo-worship and a something that we're giving as opposed to an everything that we're giving, Our response to that should be, Jesus, show me your value. Show me your worth. Show me how beautiful and wonderful you are. 
seeing that, he, what he did for us, she was about to see it, but, but what we get to see, we get to see what he did laying down his life. That there is no greater act of love, no greater act of worship than the act of giving oneself up for you and me. I'll end with this. I heard something real powerful this week. Janet and I, Bridgeforce, Janet Bridgeforce, she's one of our members and helps on our preaching cohort, really helped me tease out this sermon. I'm incredibly thankful. And she said something to me. I looked it up uh, and found something because when we were talking about it, I had this like physical reaction to how she told me what she had heard. See, we often say to Jesus, I love you, which is a good thing. I I don't want you to hear what I'm about to say is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible, David said, I love you, Lord. I mean, I love you, Father. It's, It's a good thing to say that. There's this article, Caitlin Feebles, I believe is how you would say her name. It's on the Gospel Coalition website. She wrote it last fall. I'd encourage you to go find it. She suggested a tweak that could really help us maybe be more reflective and responsive to Jesus and how we can come to him and experience him and his value and his worth. Help us understand the wonder and expensiveness, if you will, of Jesus. The reason why he's worth giving everything up for. Caitlin wrote this, she, and she invited her readers to, frankly, see what this woman saw and to add a three-letter word to our declaration of love. You see, the reality of it is that it is Jesus that always looks at us and says, I love you. And in my home, when someone says, I love you, the response is always, I love you too. Can you just sit in that for a second? Just really want to invite you into this for a moment here. You may not have had the crazy, intense response that I had, but when I just thought about that for a minute... What if in my prayer, instead of saying, God, I love you, I started saying, God, I love you too. That even just in that simple acknowledgement, I'm saying, Jesus, you loved me first. You gave up everything for me first. You are of so much value and worth because you said to me, when I would only give you something, Or even worse, when I wanted nothing to do with you, you looked at me and said, I love you. And friends, when our hearts can start to grasp that, and our response becomes, I love you too, I think that's the beginning of giving up everything. C.T. Studd, 
Humphrey Monmouth, Selena Hastings, and an unnamed woman all discovered the worth of Jesus. And when they were asked, is he worth giving everything up for? Their response was, everything. So let me ask you, is Jesus worth giving everything up for? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you because a simple woman expressed a simple act of love. And here we are 2,000 years later being impacted by it. And so may you use the words of Mark through the power of your spirit to transform our lives. And may we Father, acknowledge the things that we're holding on to that we don't want you to have. And turn from those things so that we might see the greater worth and beauty of your Son. And may today, in the simplicity of our hearts, might we too, as we see his value, give everything to him. And we pray that this morning in the beauty and majesty and wonder of his name who said to all of us first, I love you. And so, Jesus, we say back to you today, we love you too. Amen.